It is fun to listen to your joyful interaction this morning. And I'm telling you what, today is one of those days that you're going to learn real quickly. Today is what church is all about. Today is one of those days, I'll tell you what, it is just, it's packed with excitement and energy. It's been, it's been made a little complicated in part because of this thing. I've been doing a lot of arranging of details and whatever with one-handed typing and everything else. It's, it's been, it's been a, a wild time, but, but today we have had the privilege and are going to continue to have the privilege of celebrating with people who have come to a place in their spiritual journey that they have trusted in Christ as the forgiver of their sin and the leader of their life. And they're letting the world know that through baptism. And it started this morning at 8.30 this morning. Uh, Matthew de Gregorio, before the first service, was out here on the patio in the pool. And I got to say, to some degree, Matthew may be the, um, may be the smartest, smartest person getting baptized today from this standpoint. The water was 90 degrees. And that was a beautiful, I probably, Rod Carlson got to baptize him as one of the leaders in refuge, and it's like, Rod, you got lucky, because Dora's going to be doing some baptizing a little bit in the DuPage River. And after a week of less than, less than sunny days and lots of rain, uh, we did break the ice off, so it's good to go, it's good to go. But in between services, between the first, and this was just really, really exciting, in between services, there's a fellow named Kurt Burnaby, and Kurt is uh, part of the group that comes that's deaf and is part of our deaf ministry. And uh, uh, Claudia, who signs for them, contacted me and said, Kurt is ready to get baptized. He is just ready to go. And I got his testimony to read, you know, just where he is in his walk, with, walk of faith. That was phenomenal. And so first service, we, we all learned how to celebrate with Kurt as, as he gets ready to go ahead and get baptized. And he went down to the river. In fact, he's probably getting baptized right now because it was supposed to happen at 1030. So we had the privilege of doing that. And then the river's still open and after church today, so it'll be at noon. What we're doing from now on is just saying, hey, half hour after, because I know it ends up, some people get there quickly, some slowly, and so half hour after, so at noon, four of our students are going to be getting baptized. We're really excited for them, so uh, Morgan Schnuckel is going to be getting baptized today, and yep, and Lily Miller is going to be getting baptized today, and Lorelai Brown, and Maverick Brown, so we're excited for all of them, and we're very excited for the people who are going to be baptizing them because they can tell us the definition of cold, but more importantly, I just, I tell you what, part of having the broken wing, the number of people that have been baptized recently, and I haven't been able to be a part of putting them under the water and celebrating with them in that way, it's a little bit, it's a little heartbreaking to be perfectly honest. There is nothing like having the privilege of helping a person to take that step in their walk of faith. And one of the things that we practice around here is people who have had a significant impact on that person in their walk, if they want them involved in baptizing them, they do that too. So, so we're going to see a lot of that today as, as friends who have had that opportunity to see that person walk and grow in faith, get the chance to go ahead and baptize them. It's just a, it's a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. So we're grateful for that. Uh, so that's one piece of what it means to be a family. Another piece of what it means to be a family is that sometimes uh, people that have been a part of your life for a long time start a different part of their journey, and, and there's, there's the sadness of goodbye and the excitement of knowing that the, 
the relationships we have started here are eternal relationships. They're never going to stop. We're going we're to be with each other forever in heaven, and for some, they get diverted for a little while, but it's been years and years and years ago now. You have to go all the way back to 1996 that our church actually had Awana, and at that point, Jamie Hersberger showed up with her daughter, Ashley, and Ashley was part of Awana, and then a year later, they started attending our church. So 1997, folks, that's a while to be a part of a church. That's a while to say, I am going to plant in with a community of believers, and I promise you, Mark and Jamie have seen this church through thick and thin, and there's been some thin, and there's been lots of thick. There have been those seasons, and they have just been, they have been devoted, devoted to what's happening here in this body. So they're getting the privilege of heading off to San Antonio. I know, we go through this all the time, right? Uh, we're in Illinois, and our friends are finding Tennessee and Texas. They're finding North and South Carolina. And we're here. We're called by God to Illinois. And having said that, we know heaven is our home. So good days are ahead. But they're, they're finding new places. Mark's retiring. Jamie's retired. And so they're headed down towards San Antonio where Rachel is and Stephen is and pretty soon their baby. So they're going to be able to celebrate that together. Uh, they're going to be uh, my first time in ministry. I was in St. Pete. And so we got really familiar with snowbirds, the people would, who would show up when, when winter was happening up here. They're going to be reverse snowbirds, so we'll see them around uh, at, at certain times of the year, but for the most part, they're starting a new journey. They're here today, so you make sure uh, that you take the time to express your love. Uh, just really, really important to have people who who plant their roots deeply into a community of believers, and, and they have just been incredibly faithful. We love them. We love them so much. And so then the other thing I wanted to share with you today is, again, part of what it means to be part of a family. I found out this past week that a person who was part of our church many, many years ago went home to be with Jesus. His name is Bob Morris. And um, Bob and his wife started coming to our church just a little bit before I came as a pastor. Carol was, uh, they, were, they were deeply religious, deeply religious people, but they weren't people who had yet entered into a relationship with God. And just before I came, the pastor that was here at that time, the interim pastor, led her to Christ, and she was baptized, and, and Bob would just kind of watch. He wasn't sure what to do with it. He was coming from a Catholic background, this whole church, he wasn't sure what to do with it, and we watched through the years as, as his heart warmed toward getting to know and getting to love Jesus. And um, came a point that he confessed his sin, became a Christ follower, had the privilege of baptizing him. And I'll tell you, huge impact in our family from this regard. Back in the day, the church would do the whole pastor appreciation month during October, and Bob and Carol decided that what they wanted to do for us was send Dennis and Brian, Shelley wouldn't want to go and Nate wasn't around, Dennis and Brian, along with a group of people, including Bob, to U of I games down to the University of Illinois. And it was one of the first or second games. I'm not kidding. Brian's this little guy, and he goes, I'm going to this school. And uh, he paid his debt, and he went to U of I. It's fantastic. So to see the, the impact they had on our family was phenomenal. Uh, Carol, Carol went home to be with Jesus a long, long time ago. It was uh, 2004, I believe. So it's been 20 years uh, since her pancreatic cancer, and she died. And now 
I, I just can't help but think about the fact that today, for the first time, I think Sundays are still special in heaven. It's still the day that's understood. It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And Carol was the kind of person, she had a lot of interest. She was very inquisitive. I have some of her old books and notes that she wrote in her books and whatever. Very inquisitive. She spent 20 years getting really familiar with heaven. And I promise you, she's grabbed Bob by the hand and she's been dragging him all over the place, showing him the sights of heaven and spending time just staring at the Savior without whom neither of them would be in heaven, nor would we. So um, uh, some of you, by the way, have probably had Bob as a gym teacher back in the day at Joliet West or Central, wherever he was. So anyway, um, just it's good, it's good to know as a church that you're a part of something that has eternal consequences. It's not just about the little things we do along the way. This makes an eternal impact on the lives of people. And that's what it means to be a church. So take a moment right now to uh, watch this video and then we're going to get into our teaching. Lately, it seems that we are getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go. Hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now, because you are the church. Now go and be the church. We've experienced a fun and different sort of weekend. Um, Riley is with her other three sisters this, uh, for a sister's weekend away, having a good time uh, together with her littlest sister where she works. And, and so Brian decided to come spend a couple days at our house and bring Emmett along. And Emmett's been doing sleepovers at Aunt Shelley's. And we're just kind of a blast with this whole thing, right? So um, there have been a couple of toys that Kim wants to get out for Emmett. There's an old bouncy, the one that you, you know, clip on the door and the kid just bounces and bounces and is entertained. That's somewhere up in our garage attic. Do you have a garage attic that has things that have been there for at least 20 years or more? Things that you said, one day we'll use that, but you have no idea where it is. So Kim keeps asking for this, and I just kind of go, broken wing, can't do anything. So, um, so she said, Brian, go on up. I want you to find the bouncy, and there's a bus up there. I want you to find that. Bring those things on down. So Brian went on up, brought down a container, and this is just a, this is a container of his childhood. It's got the outfit that he came home from in the hospital. It's got another one that I, I can still to this day see him wearing it, this little, this little sleeper, the onesie that he had. It was, it's, wow, kind of mind-blowing. 
Uh, the bus was in there, a couple other toys that he really liked. And then this, this went on into his childhood. So there was this, there's this um, two-liter pop bottle. And he's like, oh, my word, I can't believe this. He pulls it out. He went to Eisenhower Academy, and he went there right around 2000, right? And so in 2000, the teacher at that time decided they all needed to make a time capsule. And I'm not going to share everything that was in the time capsule because I suspect this is a future sermon for Brian, and I don't want to rob the thunder. But So you have this pop bottle. It's cut. And on the inside, he was supposed to put things that mattered to him as well as some of his predictions of the future. If you're looking for business ideas, talk to Brian. The guy's a genius. I wish I would have invested. Number four was, there will come a day that you will talk to your TV remote and it will do things for you. It's happening. It's crazy. The kid's genius. It's incredible. But there, there, was, there was this other thing in there as we're looking through. There was this, this card, business card. It was actually an invite card for our church at that time. I, I look at it, I'm like, oh my word, I remember that card. I read. And I opened it up, looked on the back, it had the map, and on the inside it says, we hope you'll find this true about our church. And there's a list of, I think, about eight things here. Worship that is energetic, uplifting, and hope-filled. Contemporary songs that sing to God, not just about Him. Bible-based teaching that draws out principles for daily living. A place where you are, where who you are is more important than how you dress. People who have an obvious desire to grow in devotion to Christ. Friendliness that expresses genuine care for every individual. People who desire to be authentic, genuine, and real. Quality childcare that helps you to focus on worship. And exciting opportunities for involvement and growth. I was blown away. I read this and I'm like, this is us. This is us. And honestly, some of those things, when they were written, they were dreams. But 20 years later, I'm looking at this, and I'm, look, I'm going, this is us. This is who we are as a church. It's exciting to see uh, the way God has brought about growth in us through the years. So this little series that we're in right now is, is for the benefit of those who are newer to our church. You've been coming maybe over the past couple of months or even a couple of years, and, and you know you like what you see. You walk in, you hear the music coming in, nice music playing in the foyer. Look over, you see the coffee. I had to laugh today. We got a text from, uh, from Riley about the church she attends today, and she said, I don't know about this church. Their coffee cups are about this big. She said, how can they teach the Bible if they have such small coffee cups? So anyway, we have nice big coffee cups complete with lid, and uh, you, know, you, you walk on in, you see friendliness and warmth, you like the feel, you look at the cross, the, the invitation of that verse, you love what's going on with childcare. There are just pieces that you're like, I like what I see on the outside, but I wonder what's going on in the inside. What makes this church tick? What's it all about? And so we started last week by talking about our, our basic purpose, the one that Jesus laid out for us with questions like, who are we and what matters to us? And it comes down to this. We're a disciple-making church. If we're not making disciples, we're not fulfilling Christ's mission. And I would even go so far as to say, if we're not making disciples, we're not a church. We're a religious club, but we're not a church. This is what Christ's church is supposed to be focused on. We've taken that concept and stretched it a little bit to these words. We challenge people to take their next life-changing step toward becoming like Jesus together. I'll unpack that another time, but let me, let me just point out two things there. We challenge people. A whole bunch of words we could put there. 
we help, we assist, we lead. We put the word challenge because we think spiritual growth sometimes requires a challenge. And to be perfectly honest, we don't all like being challenged. We don't always like that sometimes. When, when someone's coming alongside us and saying, ah, this is an area where some growth needs to happen, or this is an area where something needs to shift or change a little bit. I had my annual physical recently, and, uh, and while I was there, the doctor issued some challenges. Dennis, you want to see that grandchild for the next 20 years? Lay off the ho-hos. Stop all the hot dogs. Come on. And, you know, I'm listening to him like, yeah, he's in good shape. It's not fair, right? Because normally I like to go to doctors and I can say, okay, what about you? But he's in good shape. And, and you know, so I'm being challenged by the way he looks. I'm being challenged by the way he says. And i got to admit, I don't completely like the challenge. But why is he saying it? Because he has my best interests at heart. Why do we challenge people to take their next life-changing step? Because we love you, and we have your best interest at heart. We want to see Jesus formed in you. And then that last word, together. This is, about, this is a community experience. We are, we are doing these things together. I love this morning, out there on the patio, a bunch of people celebrating with Matthew. And I know a bunch of people just celebrated with Kurt. And there are going to be a bunch afterwards celebrating with the kids that are going to be getting baptized down at the river. We do this thing together. And together, together is not just a convenience. Together is a conviction. We believe that the church is about being together. And growth is a together activity. So, today we're going to keep moving, and I want to take you over to Acts chapter 2, and it starts this way. It talks about a group of people that have been told by Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. He says that in Acts 1.8. And Acts 2, they're gathered, and the Holy Spirit comes as flames of fire on the, on the heads of the believers, and at that moment, the disciples start, the apostles start speaking in different languages, and they speak with absolute fluency, they speak in the accent of the person who's listening. The Holy Spirit empowers them to share the gospel throughout the world. The church of Jesus Christ is born at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. And by the end of Acts chapter 2, we see what a spirit-empowered church looks like. We see the characteristics of a church that's going to be effective at making disciples. It says they, the group, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to, and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles, and all who believed were together, there's that word again, and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to those in need. And day after day they attended temple together, breaking bread in their homes, so they're spending daily time in homes as well, and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the people isn't the people who are part of that church community. It's the people of the outside community, the people who are lost, the people who are trying to figure it out. They're, they're seeing this, and they have favor with those people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. This kind of church makes disciples. And this is the kind of church that God wants us to constantly be aiming to be. It all starts with this operative word, devoted. They were devoted. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to Christ. And as we look at the passage, they were devoted to six actions. Do you hear that word devoted? Not just showing up every once in a while, not, hey, I'll do what I can when I can, but 
They were devoted. They were all in. That word devoted means to persist in adherence to a thing, to be intently engaged, to attend constantly, to remain constant in a place, to constantly attend upon, continue near to, be at hand. You talk about somebody that's been around since 1996, there's a level of devotion there, a level of devotion to what's going on in the body of Christ. When I think of devoted, I think of this image uh, that I took about five years ago. It's a hard image for me to look at, and it's a beautiful image all at the same time. Roger and Janet Swank. Roger was uh, in hospice. He was failing. It was not going to be long before he'd be in heaven. And Janet was sitting right by his side, and she just reached over and put her hand on him. And he reached, even though he was losing consciousness, reached and grasped her hand. When I think devoted, I think of this picture. When I think devoted, I think of people who were together for over 50 years, who raised four kids, who were known as models of faithfulness in their jobs, in their neighborhood, in their church. They, you knew Roger and Janet, and you knew this. They were, they were devoted, faithful, committed people. This is the relationship that God wants us to have with Jesus and that God wants us to have with his church. So it says they devoted themselves. What specifically did they devote themselves to? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to the prayers. And then you have this large paragraph in the middle that just describes community life. They were devoted to community life. They were devoted to, to sharing with each other, to experiencing the, the powerful gifts of the Spirit. They were devoted to being together in the, in the temple. They were devoted to being together in homes. There's this participation going on. And then they were devoted to being the kind of community that when other people saw what was going on, they said, I want that too. How many churches have you known or been a part of that you're like, I don't want anybody on the outside being touched by this? church is cancerous. Jesus wants his church to be the kind of church that when people look, they go. When lost people look, they go, I want that too. I need that too. So you look at this, and I'm just going to break it down for you. Six actions that they're devoted to. They're devoted to teaching. They're devoted to relationships. That's where that fellowship comes in. Not a fellowship hall, koinonia, relationships. They're devoted to worship. Uh, represented in the breaking of bread, communion. They were devoted to the prayers, it said. They were devoted to participation. That big paragraph, they were active participants in the life of the body. I think one of the things that's been broken for many years in the modern American church is we've moved from participant to spectator. We treat church like a concert event. Get here as late as you can, watch what's going on, scoot out as quickly as you can, maybe even leave before the last song's done, get on out. I was there, I put in my time. That's not them. There's a devotion to participation. And then they're devoted to being a certain kind of community. So let's, let's go ahead and put some, some flesh on these bones. What is the teaching that we're devoted to? We're devoted to teaching that is biblical. They said the apostles' teaching and we broaden it to say we're, we're devoted to everything that's going on in the Word of God. This book right here. We live by this book. 
We believe the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We don't believe that some of it is written too long ago for people to really understand what God has to say or the things that we need to rewrite or edit or change because they don't understand the way modern life works. God has laid out principles in his word and he says, I want my church, I want believers to live by what's going on in this lamp to your feet and light to your path. We believe in the Word of God. It would be one thing every week to come and hear fascinating thoughts from Dennis or John or Brian. It's irrelevant what we think. We come to find out what does God have to say? What does the Bible have to say? And where do I need to conform my life to the Word of God? Kim and I were watching a show the other day and there was a line that was said and it just kind of stopped me in my tracks. And and it's actually a classic line, but it was woven into the script of this story. Uh, The person said, whoever controls the media controls the mind. Don't we see that true in in our times? Depending on whatever outlet you're listening to, you watch people just march along with whatever the media is doing to form their way of thinking. And people that think things now, they, they would look back 20 years ago and say, I would never have thought that way. But the media has formed the way they think. It's formed the way they live. You come over to the Word of God, what does it say? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does the renewing of your mind happen? Not by swallowing what the media says, but by living in alignment with what the Word of God has to say. We believe that if you're going to make disciples, you've got to be all about teaching that is biblical. And if you're not about that, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. You're not going to make disciples if we're not going back to the Word of God and saying, I choose the Jesus way. Second way, they were devoted to relationships. Again, found in that word fellowship. And I I use this term, relationships that are spiritual. I don't really particularly like the word spiritual because, you know, people think oak trees are spiritual. And, you know, it gets really watered down, but I I still haven't come up with a better word because, to me, a spiritual relationship says, in the church context, there's something God about this relationship. There's something something God-focused about this relationship. When we look at this, you know, we go back to Proverbs 27, 17. You know this verse. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We're involved in relationships that are helping us to grow, helping us to change. I would hope that if I had a horribly unbiblical habit, somebody of my friends, somebody in a spiritual relationship would stop me and say, dude, what the Bible says and the way you're living don't match. They don't match. Now, again, there's a context for that, a way to do that. Don't do that in the foyer on Sunday morning, but there's a way to do that where we invite each other into each other's lives and we say, I want you to challenge me and I hope you're looking for me to challenge you to see growth take place in your life. Iron, sharpening iron. Romans 8.29 says that God chose us to become like his son. So a spiritual relationship is helping me look like Jesus more and more all the time. So then we can ask this basic evaluative question of our spiritual relationships. Am I more like Jesus because of our friendship? Do I look more like Jesus because of our friendship? And are you more like Jesus because of our friendship? 
I hope that if you've spent 20-some years together, you would be able to look and say, there is more of Jesus in me because of you. And there's more of Jesus in me because of you. Relationships that are spiritual. Let's go to worship. So you have that term, the breaking of bread, which is talking about communion and the love feast that went around communion. Worship obviously is broader than just communion. It's, it's what we do in this service, but it's really all about a lifestyle. It's living, a, it's living a lifestyle that constantly has eyes on God. So we believe in worship that is God-focused. Worship that is God-focused, that has the eyes on God. Our times of worship together as, as a community, when we're singing together and doing communion together and, and listening to teaching together, this experience we're having, we should be very aware of the presence and power of God. When we're singing together, there should be a sense of God is in this place because guess what? He always is, but sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget. We need God-focused worship. We're born worshipers. Every person is born with a worshiping heart. You're like, oh no, not my friend. We all are. We all are. Our problem is sometimes we make our own thing to worship, right? Some of us are, are dumb enough to look in the mirror and say, there's God. Oh my word, no. Right? We are all born worshipers. Ecclesiastes 3.11, the middle of the verse says, he has planted eternity in the human heart. He's put that spiritual seed in you that says, I need to worship something. Something's out there that I need to worship. That classic saint Augustine of Hippo said, you have formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. We are worshipers. We're longing to worship. We're longing for something to give our allegiance to. This morning I was doing my Bible listening and I came to Isaiah chapter 44. And in it, Isaiah talks about this guy who's a carpenter and, and he says, can you believe how dumb this guy is? This guy takes a piece of wood, he cuts it up and he takes part of the wood and he makes a fire with it to cook his food. And he takes the other part of the wood and he makes an idol out of it. And somehow he believes that the same wood that was used to cook his food is the same wood that he should worship. He said, how dumb is that? How foolish is that? And yet for so many of us, we have crafted our own God instead of seeking God-centered worship focused on Him. And here's the thing that'll help us to understand whether or not our worship is truly God-centered. What's the product? What's the product? Pastor Jack Hayford years ago said, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshiped. You can pretty much start to see what a person adores and get an idea of exactly what the God or gods are in his or her life. We believe in worship that is God-focused. Then you come to prayer. And this word prayer is interesting. I'm going I'm to give you a word for it today. We believe in prayer that is plural. We believe that in prayer that is plural. What does that mean? We all need to learn to pray on our own. We all need to lift up our voice to God but God also said there is something powerful about a praying church, about a group of people that learn to pray together. When you go back to that passage, it's kind of awkwardly written, but, it, but it, this is the way it was originally. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's something specific. Not an apostle's teaching. Oh, Peter, 
the apostles, all the apostles. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, not just any old fellowship, not just let's just hang out, but a particular kind of fellowship, the koinonia that's experienced in the church of God. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, not just any old bread, but the bread that was involved in depicting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. It doesn't just say prayers. It says the prayers. And many people believe that what's being talked about here is the community prayers that the church adopted from their life in the Jewish faith. You've seen some of this, for those of you that have watched The Chosen, how there are prayers that the group prayed together. Prayers that were part of the community life of the believers. Prayers that were prayed in the morning and at noon and at night. Times that you'd know we're all praying together. Prayer that is plural is prayer that is powerful. I mean, God loves when one saint falls to their knees, but imagine if an entire church believed that prayer really makes a difference. Imagine if an entire church prayed. Now, I say that, and some of, you, some of you get a little scared spitless because you're like, oh my word, if I have to pray out loud, I would, I'd rather die a thousand deaths than pray out loud in front of someone else. We challenge people to take their next life-changing step. Many, many years ago with our worship team, we had people who were like scared to pray, and I said, here's what we're all going to do. We're going to say one word that describes who God is to us right now. One word. And that was a prayer lifted up to God. And we took that little step and the next little step. And before you know it, it was a couple years later, it was like we couldn't get to practice because that group was praying too long. I don't know if it's possible to pray too long. But they had really learned how to pray. God wants us to pray. Again, we challenge people to take their next life-changing step toward becoming like Jesus. How? Together. God looks for a togetherness in our prayers. It's great when our small groups gather, our journey groups gather, and there's some time spent praying together. Then you come to that word participation. As a community, we believe in participation that is generous. And generous has a lot of meanings. You hear generous, and I think for a lot of people, they initially think of monetary, you know, monetarily generous. How about this? Are you generous with your time with other people? Do you just kind of have to squeeze them in, maybe possibly? Or are you willing to give of yourself to another person? That's what it means to be generous, that level of, of participation. You saw that paragraph again and, and their generosity. I mean, they're, they're in awe of, what, of the way the Spirit is using the apostles. They're sharing the things that they have. They're day after day, every day, together in the temple courts. Not just once a week, not just for an hour, and okay, I'm done, I'll see you next week. Day after day. They were spending time together, in homes together. They received their food, it says how? With glad and generous hearts. I love that. You've been involved in a serve perhaps along the way, and you know the difference between when you serve with a glad and generous heart and when you do it kind of begrudgingly when you do it out of obligation. Yesterday, I saw pictures of our students. Our students did a service project. They headed on over to Galloway School and Pioneer Path, and they washed down and cleaned up uh, the playgrounds there that, are, that, the, that the children of our community play on. And it was cool to see the pictures because guess what? You had a group of junior hires and high schoolers smiling there was joy. There was gladness in what they were doing. They were doing it with, with glad and generous hearts. That's the kind of serve that God is calling forth from us. Participation that is generous. 
And then finally, community that is compelling. Community, I love this one. This one says, we, we function together in such a way that other people look and they say, I've got to have that. I've got to have that. They look at your faith, not just on the happy days when everything's going well. They look at when your life is falling apart and they say, if I was going through what you're going through, I couldn't function. How are you doing it? And in that moment, we're able to say, I'm not, God is. The power of God is doing this in and through me. This isn't me. This is God enabling me to do this at this time. Community that is compelling. It says they were praising God, having favor with all the people. Again, the people described there is not the people of the church. It's the people on the outside looking in. And it says the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. If we're really, truly a disciple-making community, there are going to be people who are coming to Christ all the time. There are going to be people at the first steps of faith all the time. I love the story of Kurt, this fellow who can't hear. And the, and the fact that, you know, through Claudia and the relationship they have, he's gone from apart from God to life with God. And we see it again and again and again. People coming to this point of realizing, oh my word, all my life I've been religious, but I've not had a relationship with God. And we're able to draw them into that kind of relationship. They devoted themselves to these things. Teaching that is biblical, relationships that are spiritual, worship that is God-focused, prayer that is plural, participation that is generous, and community that is compelling. We're going to spend a few weeks taking one or two things in each area and saying, let's work on this together in this coming year. Let's watch growth take place in the life of our community. Let's grow as a disciple-making church. I don't own one of these. I wish I did. They're kind of cool. Old wooden bucket. I, I, all mine are galvanized and don't leak, and I suspect this one spits a little water out. But there's something just cool about these old wooden buckets. You look at that bucket, and this one's in pretty good shape. If on this bucket one of those slats of wood was completely missing, how much water could that bucket hold? It's not a hard one, right? Self-evident. No water. It would flow out immediately. All the others can be tall and straight. And if that one is missing, the water flows out. What if one of those slats was only half as high as all the rest? How much water could that bucket hold? Half. That's it. Not more than that. I look at these six activities as slats in our bucket. And where we are shortest is where we are weakest. And it's the area that we need to do some work to grow. And so we look at these different things and ask ourselves the question, God, God, where do we need to see a strengthening of a slat? And in doing so, we'll be making more disciples. Not, I'll be happier with my church. We'll be making more disciples, which is the calling of Christ's church. They devoted themselves to these things. And so I ask you today, as a member of the priesthood of all believers. God doesn't say he gives all the answers to Dennis, so y'all listen. We're all priests before God. Of these six, where do you see our churches weakest? And what's cool about this is we're all going to have different perspectives based on our interactions and based on our involvement. Where's the one that you look at and say, there needs to be some growth in that area? 
But let me take it even further. Look at yourself. How's your bucket? Where, from a, from a God's eyes on you smiling, where is your strongest? Where, not, not you've got it mastered, but you're like, that slat's doing okay. And where do you go, my goodness, that one's completely missing, or that one's a third of what it should be. We need to look at ourselves collectively as well as individually. God, where do you want us to grow as a church so that we can make disciples? And where do you want me to grow as a believer that I might be an effective, vital part of a disciple-making church? So that gives you a little bit more of what's under the Southfield hood, and we'll continue to dig into some of these over the next couple of weeks. Father God in heaven, what a privilege for me to be a part of a place for nearly 30 years and to watch the way that, that you'll take something that, that we hoped for 20 years ago, 25 years ago, become a reality in this place. And I know it brings a smile to me, but God, I know more importantly, it brings a huge smile to you. And I'm grateful to be a part of that. We never, though, God, want to become complacent and think, yeah, we got it together. There's always an area that we, as a collective body, need to be challenged. There's always an area that we need to grow. And so I pray that you will help us as a group to look at who we are and how we're functioning and to address the slat that needs to be brought up to the length of the others, that we might be an effective disciple-making church. Help us to look at our own hearts and ask that question about ourselves. Where do you want to grow me, God, that I might be an effective disciple maker? In Jesus' name, amen. Take that reflection now to communion, and remember, this is the breaking of bread. We break it for you ahead of time, but this is the breaking of bread. This is the time that we come and we focus on the death burial and resurrection of Jesus and the fact that his death made a difference for me. We celebrate salvation. We also think about our sanctification. Where are the areas, God, that, that I need to confess today? Sin. Where are the areas that I need to grow? What are the areas that, that you want to see strengthened in me? So you might continue to take those questions with you as you walk toward this moment of worship. It is a true moment of worship. God, where do you want our church to grow? Where do you want me to grow? in order that, Jesus, we might be the disciple-makers you called us to be. Tables at the front and the back, gluten-free on either side of the platform. Let's go to communion. There's a theme in the Word of God that you see far more than once of a person having a moment of recognizing that they're in the presence of God. And they describe that place as holy ground. They recognize that this is a, a sacred moment and a sacred place. And, and what's interesting is God is always there. Every place is sacred and holy. But there are times that our human heart is just so drifted away from God or distracted that we don't recognize his presence. Like Jacob, but when he encounters God, says, surely the Lord was in this place and I was totally unaware of it completely unaware of it. And so when we come to a time of singing or a time of communion or a time of teaching, part of what I'm hoping that is happening as, as we grow as a worshiping community is not that we'll think, oh man, they're finally doing that song. Good, I love that one. Or yeah, it's about time we leap through Leviticus or whatever it is. 
but that we'd say, God is here. This is holy ground. I'm joining with my brothers and sisters today in the presence of the holy God. So as we stand and sing right now, sing it to our holy God. Let's stand. Part of what makes a community of believers compelling is the way they worship. And I'm not necessarily talking about the, the songs they choose or the style of music or, or those sorts of things. I'm talking about when we are singing those words to God, there are things that are going on in our hearts and lives at that point that really express whether or not we believe what we're saying. I got to tell you, there's been more than once that, that we've been singing on a Sunday morning, and I, I know these folks up here, and I know the heartache and pain that they're bringing through a particular moment of their life, and it's the hardest thing in the world for them to be singing that morning because there, there's something in their heart that they just want to be quiet, but, but they lift up those words to God because they believe in the God of heaven. I had one of those moments many years ago now. Uh, back in the good old days, we used to sing Tommy Walker around here. I don't know what happened to Tommy. I guess after a while, you got to move on from shout to the Lord. But anyway, um, it was a morning of worship, and we were singing a song by Tommy Walker called How Could I But Love You. And um, you know, my friend Carol Morris, she, she was dying of pancreatic cancer. She had a moment of worship, a private moment of worship one time. And just like Hezekiah, she brought all the reports from the doctor and laid them on the steps of the platform, the altar of the church, and just prayed, God, heal me. I want to see my kids get married. I want to see my grandkids heal me. And God didn't. And we watched over the next couple of years as, as her weight diminished, her face got gaunt, and her arms got so thin, and she got so frail. And she came on a particular Sunday morning, and we were singing, How Could I But Love You? And rather than singing along, and rather than watching the team, I watched Carol. I watched Carol sing like Jesus was in the room. And she sang, How could I but love you, my Savior and my God? How could I but serve you, when on the cross you were the servant of the all? How could I but follow you, when all your ways lead to freedom and life? How could I but love you, my Savior, my God? And of course, it's just, how could I but love you? How could I but serve you? How could I but follow you? And I, after that part was done, I knew the song well enough that I knew some words that were coming up. And I wondered what she'd do during those words. How could I but love you, my comforter and strength? How could I but serve you when in life you've been so faithful and true? How could I but follow you when someday soon you'll open heaven for me? And I watched her worship and I was compelled that this was a woman who was walking through the valley of the shadow of death and she was focused on her Savior. She was focused on God. And like I said earlier, I think Sundays in heaven are still special days. They commemorate the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And today, Bob and Carol, for the first time in 20 years, held hands in heaven and looked directly at Jesus and sang him and loved him and adored him. 
And I raise this today because I promise you this with 100% certainty, that day is coming for every person in this room. And you will either face Jesus and worship him, or you will stand facing a throne where he says, depart from me. One way or another, you will look Jesus in the eyes. And I hope and pray before it is too late that you will repent of your sin and trust in Christ as the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. It is only then that you can experience the joy for which this life was designed and intended and the joy that you can share with God forever. And so this morning, Lord, we thank you for all that's happening in our family. We thank you for Matthew and Kurt this morning getting baptized earlier today. Thank you that, that Morgan and Lily and, and Maverick and Lorelai are going to be baptized in just a half hour for their commitment to you. God, I, I pray that you would strengthen them through this act, strengthen them in their walk with God. Help them in a world that is going absolutely in the wrong direction to walk straight toward you. Pray for Jamie and Mark as they, as they head down to San Antonio and start this new life full of uh, great new adventures. Thank you for the way that they have invested in our lives and grown their roots down deeply into us. I pray that they'll enjoy life with their, with their new little grandbaby coming up here real soon and that you will give them opportunities to continue to serve and minister. Thank you for the love that we've been able to share because of Jesus and the relationship that we have with him. And God, I am grateful today that for the first time in a long time, Bob and Carol got to be in church together today. Thank you. Thank you for reminding us that there's more going on than just what happens on a Sunday. That every moment, eternity is at stake. Keep our eyes fixed on the eternal, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. See you at the river at noon.